Guys, it kind of feels like, it smells like, I don't know, it seems like this is a revolution. All Elite Aotearoa, New Zealand's most elite podcast all about All Elite Wrestling. It's our second week, our second show, so I've continued this thing on. I'm pretty proud of that. If you're new, well, you've only missed one episode, so you can get back and listen to it. But thanks for coming along. Lovely to have you. Got lots to talk about, so let's get into it. up top i'm bevan morgan welcome to the second edition of all elite aotearoa if this is your first show well you haven't missed much because we've literally had one so welcome along and if you did hear us last week and you've chosen to return thank you very much that's awesome it's lovely to have you back there's been a lot going on in aew this week it's kind of one of those things where i always think that there must be a slow week kind of coming up after the Grand Slam shows I figured well this might be a bit of a restful week this might be a bit of an off week but of course that has not been the case it has again been a huge week in the world of all elite wrestling the news has been big the shows have been big so it's probably wise for us to get going straight into it if we look at the news there's a couple of, uh, well, it's actually, there's three stories I was going to run over relatively quickly before I do a bit of a deep dive into another one that I think um, warrants a bit more discussion. The first thing I'd like to talk about is the news that Leo Rush is officially All Elite. Again, I suppose? It's a bit of a weird situation that, you know, he was the Joker in the Battle Royal a few months ago and then seemed to retire the next day I don't know you know the injuries were getting up with him he wanted to focus on his music career different things were going around but then he started showing up in different places and apparently now he's all elite bit of a weird gimmick I don't necessarily understand something to do with capitalism and investing I feel like we've probably got enough of that with the Hardy family office but never mind still excited by this recruitment been a lot of talk online that people would like to see him pair up with Private Party, speaking of the Hardy family office, and I've got to say I'm totally on board with that. I think the three of them would make a fantastic little group, particularly if those trios titles everyone keeps talking about come into fruition. Really, really cool signing, I think. The second bit of semi-recruitment news is, of course, as well, the um, challenge to Sammy Guevara and his newly acquired TNT title, which we'll talk about later on, by... Bobby Fish of the Undisputed Era. I'll be honest, I don't know a huge amount about Bobby Fish. I didn't really watch NXT when he was on it, so my understanding of his career is actually pretty minimal. There seems to be a lot of excitement around this, so that's the main thing. I'm sort of trusting the crowd on this one. It's an interesting situation because one of the things I really enjoyed about Cody's TNT title reign was the open challenge that he had every week and you know we got guys like warhorse and then of course eddie kingston signed on permanently and is now such a massive part of the show i'm not certain they need to go down that route again now because we're obviously not in the height of the pandemic in the usa the crowds are back 
I would like to think that they could have a pretty good run of challenges from the stacked roster they have. So maybe this is all just a fancy way, a storyline way of bringing Bobby Fish into the fold. I, I don't know. I'm intrigued to see where it goes. And from what I understand, this should be a hell of a match. So I'm on board with it either way. The next piece of news concerns um, rumors and some speculation around the creative control in, well, not con creative control so much, is the creative oversight within All Elite Wrestling. And it's been sort of revealed through various sources this week that all creative is now managed by Tony Khan individually, that the EVPs don't necessarily have much of a role in that anymore like they used to. Again, not that surprised by this kind of thought that that was already the case particularly um you know there's been a lot of discussion on how cody's kind of on the outside and it's like well yes i don't think again that that's any secret when he's off doing side projects relatively regularly and dipping in and out of the company and isn't on the shows with the others i don't i don't know if that's as serious as some people are trying to make it out to be perhaps it is but I just don't think there's been any real hiding of that fact. So I was a bit surprised by the hubbub this all caused online. I'm not sure how I feel about it, to be honest. I don't particularly like the way that Vince McMahon micromanages things in WWE. It's one of the reasons I had to stop watching it. I found it just unbearable. And I think he could have really benefited from a collaborative approach with his talent, um, especially those ones that were coming in that already had a ready-made profile. However, that's the way they choose to do things. That's fine. Again, if you like WWE, I'm not trying to belittle you. That's cool. Enjoy what you enjoy. It's just a personal preference thing. And I think there's other people that have that kind of worry too, that perhaps if there is just this one manager of it, that it might be a little bit overwhelming or it might get a little bit out of control. However, in saying that, there has been a definitive increase in the quality of the programming that AEW is producing. The Dynamite shows at the moment are the best that they've ever been. And when I ducked in to look at the Dark shows this week for the first time in a little while, I thought that they were really good. I thought that it was a much better presentation. And even some of those squash matches had some really good storytelling in them. So mixed opinions. It's If it keeps going the way it's going, I think it's wonderful. I get a little bit nervous that Tony Khan might work himself into an early grave. But, I mean, he's got a lot of money to keep an eye on those things so i'm certain he'll be fine another big bit of news comparing aew to wwe seems to be how a lot of these news stories are framed is around the selling of tickets in long island seems that aew are rapidly outselling wwe in that market when they have shows that are nine days apart i'm not sure what you can read into this I don't really understand ticket sales, particularly in this post-COVID environment. Um, there's a lot of factors, I would imagine, that go into this as well. You know, like Meltzer sort of says that usually wrestling fans buy tickets on the first day. But in saying that, there have been shows recently, as far as I know, that have been slow sales at first and then have sold out. So it's it's hard to know what this all means i think the only thing that we do know is that it's bad optics because we're talking about it and we create the discussion around it so if you're wwe it must be fairly annoying even if you're confident that you're going to sell tickets and you're going to sell them at a higher ticket price that's something we also probably need to 
keep in mind is that WWE seems, uh, tends to sell tickets at a higher price than AEW. But even if you've got that confidence, it must be frustrating to know that the perception out there is that you are getting essentially your ass handed to you by the competition who hasn't been going nearly as long as you. So it's good news for AEW. It, it can't be considered as anything other than good news. I'm a little bit sort of more skeptical, I suppose, about what it actually means because it's such early days and we're talking about, you know, WWE in New York. I can't imagine that they won't have success with those tickets. The big news article that I really wanted to get into a decent solid rant about though concerns the ratings of Rampage. Now there has been so much discussion about this online and the discussion is not constructive at all. It is pretty much hysterical and there's a lot of WWE fans acting in really bad faith saying that these lower ratings for Rampage indicate that AEW is nothing but hype, it's exploding or imploding, whichever term you want to use, and the uh, the bottom is basically falling out. It's a disaster, it can't compete with SmackDown, which is on the same night, can't compete with, I don't know, NXT probably, basically just making up complete nonsense that's irrelevant. As I say, it's bad faith arguments. But conversely, there's also AEW fans that are really worried about this. They think that this is a real problem when... It's not really a problem. And the reason why it's not really a problem is you've, you've got to take into account a lot of different elements here, okay? So Rampage is a show that has a couple of purposes. The primary one, though, is that it creates very, 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 very cheap content for AEW. Very cheap content. So as we all know... AEW renegotiated a new broadcasting or a new license fee with TNT last year. And that broadcasting fee goes till 2023, and it's for about $45 million US per year. Now, on, on the agreement with that was basically that they would keep producing um, Dynamite for two hours. They would produce four special cards of Dynamite per year, which they were pretty much already doing so it was just a case of cementing that um, and confirming that and making it official and then they would produce one hour of extra programming called Rampage for Friday nights or whatever I, I don't know if that was necessarily set in stone at the start but the point is is that they had to produce that extra hour of programming now the thing is TNT aren't stupid <laughs> for want of a better word they're very happy with what AEW have been doing AEW have been overperforming pretty much since the start of their agreement. Especially now, the numbers for Dynamite are absolutely extraordinary, particularly in the demo, particularly beating Raw two weeks in a row. I mean, if they don't do that again for the rest of the year, it doesn't really matter. The fact that they've done it at all is pretty impressive after just two years in television. We have to keep in mind the time it is and the content that they are delivering. You're only going to get the most passionate diehards at 10pm on a Friday night watching a pre-recorded show where there are plenty of spoilers and is clearly a B-show. AEW, for whatever they might say technically, have conditioned us to know that this is a B-show just by the fact that it's pre-recorded alone. But then you take into account things like it's only an hour and the content and the amount of sort of video packages and that kind of thing. It's no secret. And that's not 
a problem because it, those diehards are giving them enough of an audience to get really good ratings results. The thing is, as well, that people need to realize is, I mean, in my opinion anyway, those ratings are actually going to go down from where they are. I suspect that we'll be looking at these sort of round 600,000 viewers mark is actually pretty good. And some of the high marks they might be getting for the few live shows that they do uh, later in the year. And the reason I say that is because we have to just look back to when the tables were turned and Dynamite was sometimes on a Friday night. Those numbers were really, really, really low. They're quite often around the 400s as far as I remember. And the point is, is that the novelty is going to wear off of this. They can't do really impactful rampages every week. So we're going to see it come further down. And that's still okay. Those numbers will still be good enough for TNT. So what might be in this for AEW? I think a lot of people would want to ask me. They are sort of really pushing home this message that AEW need to demand that they get a better time slot, that they demand they get a better day. Well, there's a few issues with that. Getting a better day and a better time isn't that simple when you're doing a wrestling show. Monday's out because of Raw. Tuesday's potentially out because of NXT. But then also Dynamite's on Wednesday. See, do you really want to run shows two days in a row? And if you don't, well, that definitely rules out Thursday. Friday, as we've talked about, you can't run them against SmackDown. You couldn't run them against SmackDown if SmackDown was on cable. That would have been suicidal enough, let alone doing it against Fox. That just leaves the weekends, which are particularly bad because the viewership ratings go down a lot. They could clash with PPVs, but also there's a whole lot of other sports going on on the weekend. So the, the, the weekend is definitely not where they want to be. Even with that sort of storied history of WCW Saturday night, the, the market has changed quite a bit since those days. So they're not really, if they just want content for Friday evening, then they're in a bit of a bit of a rock and a hard place. The late night is probably a pretty good bet for them. But secondly, and most importantly, you've got to keep in mind that relationship building element. And this goes into all business. This is not just broadcasting business. But essentially, TNT still hold the power when it comes to dictating those terms of the agreement. This isn't like the old days where there was Turner was you know run by Ted Turner, and on a whim he could give Eric Bischoff primetime programming on TNT, and his executives who hated it just had to fall in line. They don't own AEW. AEW is a private entity, and they're leveraging a pretty rich history with that network from 20-odd years ago to get that programming. The last thing they want to do is upset that because they're in a pretty good spot. They don't want to play their hand that early, particularly when in two years' time they're going to be coming up for negotiations again. And that's the thing. If they keep overperforming like they're overperforming, if they just keep producing content, which again is pretty much free for them to produce, and they keep getting those good ratings that are between the most watched and the fifth most watched on a Friday night, TNT will have no choice but to offer them more money in the future, or they'll be able to shop around elsewhere and get a better deal. I can't imagine that's what's going to happen, but you never know. I mean, I never would have thought that WWE SmackDown 
would be on Fox two or three years ago. Maybe not two or three years ago. I can't even remember how long ago it was they signed their deal. But let's say five years ago, I definitely, definitely never would have considered it to be an option. But most importantly for AEW, aside from that future income that they're essentially banking through good relationship management and through good strategic programming and ratings gathering, is they are building content for themselves. Content is king at the moment. Now, we could sit here and debate for hours whether or not the current media market is sustainable or if it's going to be like it is in 20 years. It won't be. I mean, we can pretty much guarantee that. You know, the big players, most of them didn't see the current era coming. That's why Disney had to spend 40-something billion dollars to buy Fox because they knew they were late to the streaming game and they didn't have enough content. They needed content, so they were willing to literally buy another studio to make that happen so that their brand could survive. Now, as I say, we don't know whether or not the streaming thing will be the the, the go-to in 20 years. I can't, I can't imagine it would be. We're already hitting a point where it's sort of at like peak saturation and there's too many streaming platforms. And that's something that WWE did really well. They got in there particularly early and built a really, really good product. But regardless of that, there is a search for content because the audience is completely fragmented. Content is what is driving all production at the moment. It's why Netflix has what seems like 10 new series coming out every day because they can target so many different groups with it. Now, AEW needs content because they haven't been going long. This is the reason why we have Dark and Dark Elevation. Those shows aren't for us. I mean, they they will tell you that, but they're not really. They serve a much broader purpose than giving us squash matches and advancing wins and losses. They can say that that's what they're there for, but they don't need to be produced into television or into, sorry, into, into YouTube series that only gather like views in the tens of thousands. They're there because it builds content. You can do your dark elevation tapings at the same time you're doing your dynamite tapings and then you can tack on an extra hour or not even an hour, an extra 40, 45 minutes to do your rampage tapings. Then basically you have tripled your output. You've gone from two hours a week to six hours a week for the cost of studio space at Universal Studios to film dark or whatever strategy they go with in that term in the future. And that is a phenomenal, phenomenal investment. That is such a smart way of building content. Now, as I say, I don't imagine we're going to see an AEW network in 10 years' time. But more content at the moment equals more investment. When they need to raise money, maybe they want to go public. Maybe they want to negotiate Uh, a a distribution deal with an already existing platform like WWE does now in the USA with Peacock, they will need content to make that happen. And if you can triple your output in a week without having to really do anything but book out a studio space for a few days, a month or whatever of back-to-back tapings for an internet show, that's genius. So relax about Rampage. Rampage is probably going to get lower ratings now. I mean, sorry, in the future than it has now. And that's okay. It's all strategic. 
TNT are happy, AEW are happy. I'm sure they would I'm sure they would love the ratings to be high. I'm sure they would love to get the CM Punk pop every week. But for the moment, they're doing things right and the future is very, very rosy. Anyway, let's get to a show review. Uh, we want to look at the uh, the dynamite from last week coming out of Rochester, New York. We all know the story behind this one. It was meant to be happening 18 months ago. It was meant to be the debut of the late, great Brody Lee. Unfortunately, we all know how that story turns out. The pandemic hits, the crowds leave, and we lose Brody Lee, tragically, to a mysterious lung condition so it was always going to be a bit of a moving show i think that what aew did so wonderfully here though was that they really kept it on the low on the lowdown that this was going to be a bit of a tribute show 2.0 to mr Brody lee they certainly didn't publicize it like that they obviously made it clear that they knew the um the specialness of this i suppose the sentimentality that we were always aware that this was going to be a return to Brody Lee's hometown, but it wasn't until the day before that they announced they were going to make it a bit more special than that, which is really cool. I think that that's treading that line between honoring someone and, you know, um, being distasteful, I suppose, in your use of their memory to gain an audience in a really good way. I, I think that they definitely had the sincerest of efforts and given what you hear from people like even like CM Punk talking about how the way they handled his passing and the lead up to his passing you get the idea that they are very sincere and that they definitely get it so with that in mind the Rochester show starts with sorry I'm laughing because I'm just remembering what a cool opening to the show this was we get Adam Cole baby versus jungle boy jack perry and an absolute barnstormer of an opener i was a little bit nervous about this one to be honest because i did not want jungle boy to go down but i figured that he really had to it would seem a bit strange to give adam cole the loss this early particularly after some of the amazing promo work he was doing in the build-up to this fight but as brian alvarez talked about a lot this week um Basically, AEW can do a really wonderful job at making guys look strong in the loss. And so my, I suppose my nerves and my skepticism were sort of proven to be all for naught. Jungle Boy came out looking like a million bucks. They, it wasn't even just as simple as having a screw ending. It was the fact that, you know, he kicked out of the Panama Sunrise and then there had to be an interruption that led to a low blow, which then led to the to the finishing a double finishing move so you know ultimately they did this really well to handle it and they really demonstrated why jungle boy is one of the four pillars another thing that we'll get to a little bit later on really enjoyed this match um i knew i would i was biased going into it to be honest thought it was a great way to start 
the event. I mean, I give it a solid A. I'm going to try and rate some of these matches and segments um, where I can. It's maybe a bit of a futile task because I've noticed that basically the AEW fan base can be a bit of a hive mind. So I'm probably just going to be giving things very similar or the same ratings that everyone else does. And some things don't necessarily warrant a rating, but hey, let's try it. Let's try something a bit different that I didn't do last week. This will be a world first in the All Elite Aotearoa podcasting history. Next up, we had a little segment with Brian Danielson facing off with the Elite. I have to sort of possibly buck the trend a little bit on this. I wasn't much of a fan of this. I, you know, it, the thing is with Brian Danielson is he's probably the best wrestler in the world going. No, sorry, it's still Kenny. Sorry, it's still Kenny. He's a very close second to Kenny. But he's never been, for my mind, that great on the microphone. And I felt this whole segment was incredibly awkward. I really... This is the second or third time where he sort of got into a, a battle of words on the microphone with Kenny or the Elite, and they haven't been able to get their timing right, and they've kind of talked over each other, and it's awkward and weird, and it's kind of like a Zoom meeting where you're one person goes and you talk at the same time, so you both try and stop, and then you both start at the same time, and it's really awkward, and I, I felt really uncomfortable. I really disliked the Kenny Noble stuff, not... I didn't find it offensive. I just found it embarrassing. It's so juvenile. And it's so something that I would have expected Roman Reigns like seven years ago to say when they were trying to force this poor guy to read these ridiculous promos that couldn't, you know, get anyone over in a million years. Um, yeah, didn't, wasn't a fan. I, I thought, and I thought the whole thing came to a very awkward conclusion. It felt oddly paced. Very forgettable segment. Um, would rather maybe Brian not do too much more on the microphone at the moment, to be honest, until they practice this a bit better. I don't know if it's a difference between scripting and freestyling, but yeah, not not something that I was particularly fond of. The next segment and match, however, big fan, big fan. And I, I wanted to talk about this a bit because last week I spoke about how I wasn't sure what was going on with Cody and how I was a little bit sorry for him and talking about what an interesting dynamic it is and um was wondering what what they were going to do and this week um i basically proved to myself that i am just a big massive mark not a smart mark not um an insider just a big dumb fan which you know there is nothing wrong with that that's all i've ever said i am but i thought i was a little more savvy to things that are going on i've basically been completely played by Cody I think um the match itself let's, let's before we get into that the match itself was pretty cool I thought I right from the start the psychology was great um Cody ignoring Arn starting the match instead of um instead of uh Lee Johnson I haven't even said who's in this match it's Cody and Lee versus Matt Seidel and Dante Martin and so they have this 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 great tag match with a clash of styles I think I mentioned last week that this pairing of Matt Seidel and Dante Martin is perfect while Darius Martin is out because Dante has definitely inherited a lot of what Matt Seidel used to do. I mean, it's not to say Matt Seidel can't still do amazing stuff because, oh my God, he can. But Dante Martin is, is, I mean, again, I was waxing nostalgic, not waxing nostalgic, waxing poetic about Mark Quinn last week. Well, Dante Martin is him plus 
another couple of levels. He's so graceful. His his moves, his moveset, his his I don't know. I don't look. I'm speechless. I can't even really describe it. You you saw what I saw, and you've seen what I've seen. This guy is incredible, and so ridiculously young. Um, I thought the match was good. I thought it was a good clash of styles. I like the the fact that you've got Lee and Cody who are a bit more almost WWE in their style, a bit more grounded. Although in saying that, Lee is, I mean, he's a bit more flamboyant, I think, in terms of his moveset than Cody um, versus these two high flyers. And the, the storytelling was cool. I like the way that um, Lee tags himself in to get the victory in the end because Cody's not getting it done. Um, so the, the match itself, I gave a B plus to. I, I really enjoyed this one. I thought this was really cool. But the match was clearly just a setup to the segment afterwards. Um <laughs> oh, I'm laughing because you know why I'm laughing because it's turned into a meme. This Arn Anderson promo that he cuts on Cody is magnificent. Uh, scary. I I mean, I never want to be stuck at a red light next to Arn Anderson. That's for sure. I've learned that from watching Dynamite. I can't believe he said blow their brains out on television like that in a country like the USA. But you know, that's that freedom it's believable i mean that creative freedom it's it's believable it 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 was i mean that's kind of your edgy programming but without it um being juvenile like we're talking about kenny nobles feeling really lame and juvenile this is like holy crap that was a bit that was a bit of a shock um i love the fact that he just basically bollocked him in the center of the ring told him he's a loser and dragged Lee away with him, and Lee went with him, not even with the torn loyalty. That was that might have been my favorite part. Is Lee just follows Arn? He doesn't even doesn't even slightly have any torn loyalties. Absolutely brilliant. Just such good storytelling. And you let you get left with Cody there in the center of the ring, as Tranquilo Club would call him. Um, I, you know what? I was just about to reference Tranquilo's clubs, Tranquilo Club's video, and I can't actually remember the name of it. I think it was Fallen Hero. Regardless, you should absolutely check it out. I'll put a I'll put a um, link to it in the show notes because it's he does a much better summary of this whole story arc than I possibly could. And as I say, I can't talk about that story arc like I saw it coming because I didn't. Basically, Tranquilo he covers stuff around you know how he's essentially leaning in to the Homelander thing because he's becoming the um, he's going to start hating the fans because they're booing him and he can't be what they want him to be it's 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 deliciously layered um he's basically arguing that this is an intentional thing right from the start this isn't new and it's a pretty compelling case and given what we saw the other night i definitely believe that to be the case and i as i say i feel like a really big mark but in the best possible way absolutely loved it huge fan of this can't wait to see where it goes in the future Next up, we have John Moxley, Eddie Kingston, Darby Allen, and they're facing Bear Country and Anthony Green. What was this? Like, legitimately, what what was this? This was a dark match. This was a dark elevation match. I don't, I don't know what this was here for. I don't understand any of this. Oh, I didn't even include Sting was involved, of course. This was a flash in the pan. It was a nothing match. I don't understand anything about it. It makes me a little bit nervous for Moxley, who was the franchise player for so long, who's now slumming it with this kind of crap. Not to, I mean, not to mention Darby Allen. 
not to mention Eddie Kingston. They're they're all wonderful performers. This was I, I don't I mean this trying to rate this one D F I I don't it doesn't I not rate it I suppose because I don't even believe that this was on the card. I don't understand what this was meant to be, and I I would like to see less of this. This was a waste of everybody's time. Um, I suppose hopefully the, all of them got a paycheck. That's that's the sort of the bright side about it, I suppose. And what's interesting is we, we go from that to what was my favorite part of the show. And I think last week I sort of bagged the idea of this thinking that this was just going to be chaos and what a stupid thing to do without really appreciating just how tenderly AEW were going to treat the Brody Lee um, homecoming. So, of course, we get this 16 tag uh, 16 man tag matches the Dark Order and Orange Cassidy versus the Hardy family office. Oh, God. <sighs> Still going. Regardless, they pull together a match. It's fine. The storytelling is pretty simple. Um, Uno is, you know, the, and Reynolds are on the different pages. They have an argument. Uno goes to leave. And this is the moment that everybody seemed to think that Bray Wyatt was going to come back. And my God. Goodness, am I glad he didn't. I don't really understand the Bray Wyatt thing. I don't particularly want to see him in AEW. It's not for me. Um, when I did watch WWE and I watched him, I thought he was fine. Um, I appreciate everyone thinks he's incredibly creative. I don't know if that kind of creativity in terms of that fantasy sort of stuff needs to be I don't know if we really need it now that the pandemic's over and we're back to live wrestling um, in front of crowds. I just don't think we need that sort of stuff personally. I mean, I don't I don't have any interest in it. And I, I never liked the story element that essentially the guy that was Brody's leader is going to come back and take over for him. So Brody was essentially never really the exalted one. He was just kind of a placeholder. Not to mention, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know what you do with the Dark Order, but I don't necessarily like the idea of trying to stuff the genie back in the bottle of them being these super serious dark heels. I think that ship has long, long sailed. And I kind of like the fact that they're wholesome as hell. I think that's a really interesting dynamic and it's very unique. I mean, I say that, and as soon as I said that, I pictured the New Day. But the New Day always, well, not always, but, you know, the New Day were pretty, um, they, they certainly weren't the Dark Order, let's say that. Let's say that much. The New Day certainly has more positive connotations <laughs> in the name even than the Dark Order. But regardless, the match is is fine. That They have that moment where they're having their argument and they, of course, run out. It's not Bray Wyatt, thankfully. It's Amanda Huber and... Negative one, Brody Lee Jr. throws the papers at Evilono. Love that. Gets a stern word from a clearly emotional Amanda Huber, who, by the sounds of things, has really appreciated what AEW has done for them. So that whole cameo felt natural and earned and very lovely and sincere. And of course, they get back to the ring, they reform, and the match elevates to this absolutely superb crescendo. Very similar to what we saw in the original Brody tribute show. And everyone gets their, you know, their spots in as a team. And of course, we get 
John Silver running wild, which is one of my favourite things they can ever do. He's so damn good at it. Really wish they'd give him a bit more of a, a bit more of a push. Um, he's just so dynamic, and you don't necessarily expect it because he is such a clown. And of course, it leads to the victory for the Dark Order and a really moving sort of moment with the Huber family. Really enjoyed this match. Um, match is a B, B plus, I suppose. Uh, again, it's not so much what's happening before the the story twist, um, as much as it is about the crescendo once they're all back on the same page, which is really cool. Love it. Love that part. And and the segment generally, I think, gets an A. I, don't, I can't see how it could get anything less unless you have a heart made of stone. Next up, we got Men of the Year and Dan Lambert. Dan Lambert cuts a great promo. My God, I don't know if he wrote that down and memorized the whole thing or if that was off the cuff. I assume he had to write it down and memorize it. And if so, that's pretty impressive, especially like with that natural sort of delivery. Ethan Page shows why he is an underrated promo. He's he's awesome. He really is. I love his look. I love the douchebag uh, boat shoes with the two high pants and the too tight shirt. And I love the fact that he said he has the tightest tits in the game. Again, if that's not a t-shirt, it will be soon. Um, but again, I don't understand where this is going. I don't see why they need Lambert and a bunch of MMA guys. And I certainly don't see why Scorpio Sky needs to be doing a heel turn. He just is too nice. I, I can't handle him trying to drop a couple of octaves when he speaks. I, I don't understand how I'm meant to think he's a baddie because he's so lovely. Um, it's not, I, j I just can't buy it still. And I find the whole thing a little bit punishing, a little bit confusing. I don't have a rating for this segment because um, I just don't really know what to think of it in general. Now, next up, we have the other two members of the um, the Dark Order. And they're going to have a match against, of course, those two members are Tay Conti and Anna Jay, the two female members of the Dark Order. And they're going to have a match against Penelope Ford and the Bunny. Last week, I wasn't particularly fond of the uh, singles match between between Penelope Ford and Anna Jay. I sort of said, I hope that the tag match will give them a bit of a better opportunity to share the load a bit and have a bit more of a dynamic match. And that absolutely came into fruition here. It's a little bit disappointing that this is separated out from the men's Dark Order bit. I mean, that kind of feels very symbolic of how the gender divide is a bit in AEW, frankly. Um, the men have a bigger, louder, better segment, and then the women sort of have a secondary one, which is nowhere near as prominent, um, but it's still very good regardless. Um, I, I thought the match was fine. I do think that it was benefited by being a tag match. It sort of got everyone a chance to, I mean, TV gives you a limited time for a match, so they got to sort of hit all their spots without really um, exposing any of the weaknesses that any of these performers have because again they are you know um, a couple of them anyway particularly Anna Jay and Penelope Ford are very green um, so I thought it was a really good match I gave the match a B um, I thought it was pretty enjoyable and the closing segment with um, with negative one coming down to the ring 
again, really, really quite beautiful stuff. I mean, Tay Conti was just in a puddle of tears. Seems like she and Negative One are incredibly close. And um, it was obviously a very emotional night for her. So um, I, I don't have too much to say about the match, unfortunately. I just, as I say, it's it's a bit of a shame that it's just sort of tucked away while the men get such a more prominent spot rather than the whole organization being together. But that's the way the stories are going at the moment. Um, make of that what you will. This leads us into an absolutely cracking segment from MJF. Of course it is. It's MJF. It's going to be pretty wonderful. But it's a surprising um, promo series from MJF. Don't mind my dog just coming up to the microphone and shaking himself clean. Um, Barney, thank you for interrupting everything and just letting everybody know that you're here. Really appreciate that. The cat will come soon. Um, so this segment with MJF, really, really top segment. Because, um, again, I was really surprised by... Uh, he put himself over. That goes without saying. But then he also put over three other members of the roster. He put over Darby Allen. He put over Sammy Guevara. And he put over Jungle Boy, calling them the four pillars that AEW's future will be built on. And that is interesting. It's so true. It's really true. And the show is built around those four pillars, which is pretty awesome. You know, you start with Jungle Boy. Okay, so he has a loss, but he has a loss in one of the hottest angles going in pro wrestling that's building up to something else. You have him in that segment alone. I mean, sorry, you have him in that segment, not alone. He's got Darby Allen about to come out. And then, of course, you close. The main event has Sammy Guevara in it. thought that was a really cool way how they highlighted their own structure through this really scathing and really fun promo from NJF. And what is really cool about it is that once um, once Darby comes in, I think you see some pretty good acting for wrestlers because this is, this is the thing, is that wrestlers aren't actors and one of the things that I don't like about scripted promos, I know that this has been flogged like a dead horse, but I still just want to say my piece, is that if you give wrestlers pages and pages of dialogue to remember, their focus is going to be on delivering the dialogue. It's not going to be on getting the emotion across in the moment, which you can do when you've got a bit more freedom in terms of what you're saying. And I think we saw that with MJF. He actually botched at one point. And he talks about how, God, I can't believe I'm relaying this, how when Darby was in a car accident with his uncle as a child, the wrong man died. And Darby wasn't a man, he was a child. So that's not the word he should have used. But the point is, is it didn't matter. You didn't, I'm, I'm a big and nitpicky dick. It didn't affect anything for me. I was just surprised that he actually made a botch like that. Um, but it didn't matter because the acting itself was so good because he wasn't focused on getting the dialogue 100% correct. He was able to drive the promo through with emotion. And similarly, I thought that um, Darby did a really good job in his response when he goes through that sort of meditative uh, little pose. I thought that was really cool because <laughs> traditionally wrestlers have to perform for the nosebleeds. You know, they have to make sure that all their actions are big. Um, you know, all all punters can see it, whereas that didn't seem necessarily to be the focus so much here because, you know, it's a TV product. Darby didn't need that, you know, row Z to see his lip quiver or to see him clenching his fist, trembling in these really, you know, silly, cliche ways that none of us do in real life, but we're prompted to believe are real reactions based on what we've seen on television. I thought it was really great. I thought the acting, the emotion was superb. 
And the cliffhanger was outstanding because you, why did Darby say that he can't mentally break him? What the hell are we going to see from MJF coming up? It's going to be horrendous, whatever it was. Um, I'll give this segment a grade. I have to give it an A because I loved it. I just I love the way it outlines the show structure. I love the way that it hints to the future. Uh, I love the acting, and I love that it leaves us with a clo- uh, with a cliffhanger. I was about to say a clothes hanger. My God, it is getting late. Now, finally, we get to the main event. The main event is the TNT title match, as it should be. Not just because it's a title match, but because it's the TNT title match and it's Brody Lee's homecoming. And they've done really wonderful work in establishing the fact that they consider Brody Lee to be, you know, the greatest TNT champion, or at least the most iconic TNT champion. That's his title forever. You know, they've essentially... They said that at the uh, at, at the tribute show after he passed away. Really cool that they made that the focus of the main event. Now, my criticism is that I still think that this feud needed more time. I think that this was a really rushed feud. I don't know if I was ready for Miro to hand the title over. I mean, he's had 140 days. I think he could have had 340 days the way he was going and, you know, the, the matches he was having. But... Uh, you know the actual the actual problem I had was more with the fact that this feud has essentially begun one week, and that most of the feud has been based around Fuego del Sol doing all the work, and uh, Sammy Guevara having about a two second promo on Miro. I still I still struggle with Sammy as a babyface as well, but I I have to accept that that ship has sailed. Um, I'm sure he'll be heel again soon enough, and I'll look forward to those days. Um, the match itself. Uh, was good really 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 good storytelling here again as you as you would expect from these guys Miro gets all the offense and is absolutely dominant over Sammy and Sammy makes that classic plucky baby face smaller guy comeback and he does it superbly with high-flying maneuvers the the one that he you know corkscrews out of the ring over the corner post was just diabolical Um, and of course he has to hit a couple of finishes well he has to yeah he has to hit a couple to actually get the the victory so yeah, you know, keeping Miro looking looking pretty strong. He's going out in a good way, putting over one of the younger talents, and they get to have a lovely celebration to crown a really popular new champion uh, on the night, honoring the greatest TNT champion the company's known, or the you know the the embodiment of that championship. So I'm happy that Sammy's champion because I love Sammy. There's absolutely no doubt about that. My criticisms aside. I think they did this as well as they could have. The match was, as I say, really strong. I'd give the match a B plus, A minus, sort of around there. Um, and the the feel goodness of it, I suppose, for want of a better word. I mean, I was I was getting out of my seat. I was cheering. You know, I was I was. They they had planted enough doubt that even though I thought, given the speed of the the trans, you know, the feud, that surely Sammy was going to win, and given the comeback he was launching, they they had left enough doubt in me to get really excited and pop really hard for the end. So a wonderful end to what was overall a, a really, really excellent show. I know I've nitpicked a couple of things like the Moxley, Darby Allen, um, Eddie Kingston match and some other little facets of it. But I mean, this is over the course of a two hour show. Keep in mind, the highs were definitely higher than the lows. Um, and the lows, frankly, just weren't that low compared to the dizzying highs that it did achieve. So another wonderful week in Dynamite. God, what the hell have they got going next week? 
Okay, so this gives us a bit of a chance to have a very quick overview of the Rampage show. I realize I've gone on far too long with my nitpicking and mansplaining opinions over the course of the news and the Dynamite show. So we have just a very quick recap of Rampage. You might also notice that my voice has gone a bit quieter in this house. It is bedtime for my wife and my baby. And I really want to get this finished, but not at the expense of waking up a peaceful household. Okay, so if it sounds a bit weird and you're like, why is there this sudden drop off in tone? Um, this is my nighttime voice. This is my nighttime indoor voice. Okay. So Rampage obviously coming to us from Rochester, what with it being taped immediately after Dynamite, of course. The card had three matches, this tends to be the standard for it, and they opened pretty much with a dream match, one that I have been dying to see. I'm, I mean, I'm a big mark of the Young Bucks. If you get to know me over the course of this podcast, you'll start to understand that. Um, and of course, I like any good Young Bucks fan, I really adore Nick Jackson as a solo performer as well. I think that he's a pretty uncanny talent by himself. Now, obviously, this was a TV match that had a pretty short time limit. It wasn't going to go too long. So we're not going to expect to see it as a true dream match where we're going to see it, you know, like on pay-per-view or something like the the um, the Grand Slam show that we saw and the, the bout that we have with Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson. Nevertheless, some really cool spots in here. Man, there was there was still some cool stuff. The the brutality of Brian Danielson is pretty phenomenal. And I remember reading in the Young Bucks um, autobiography that came out last year, them talking about a match that they had involving Danielson um, back in I think it was I think it was when they were wrestling with PG, PWG. And it was kind of traumatizing because he went way too stiff on them. And um, it, it was just essentially he he beat them up for real. Um, he got a bit carried away, apparently. And they were really shaken up and hurt by it, apparently. It's, it's a really interesting story to read. And that's a really good book as well, actually, generally. If you haven't if you haven't read it, I can't really recommend it enough. I really, really liked that book. Um, autobiographies don't necessarily tend to do it for me. I find them a bit self-indulgent. And maybe that one is a bit self-indulgent, but... I mean, I loved it. I thought it was a really interesting tale and gives a really unique perspective on how um, a different kind of wrestling career uh, came into fruition. Anyway, I'm totally getting sidetracked. Match was, yeah, the, the brutality, really cool. The submissions that were um, being put on by Danielson were outstanding. Nick, um, I mean, Nick gave it to him in sense of like he I mean a lot of people complain about the young bucks not selling um which yeah maybe there's some fair criticism in there I thought he he gave a lot to Danielson in this particularly in terms of looking like a like a sniveling little coward and I think he did that really well um yeah it's it's hard to review these some of these rampage matches because they tend to be so short and they tend to be so lacking in a lot of the stuff that goes, you know, the psychology and the storytelling that you get with a longer match and with a longer build. But um, I, I mean, I'll watch those two go at it any time. Um, as a grade, 
I think I think if we had a pay per view, this would be getting an A plus from me. In this case, probably a like a B plus, A minus. It's just it, it's it it was a really really solid match with some really cool stuff. But you just know it could be so much more, which is exciting for the future, but also a bit disappointing in the present. So then we move to this uh, women's triple threat match, which is. Uh, no holds barred match a bit of a bit of a street fight no dq situation which is kind of cool i kind of dig that i'm not i'm not a huge fan of the street fights and the no dq matches um but i do like them occasionally i think as long as they're used sparingly um they can be pretty impactful i think sometimes AEWs use too many of them but also in saying that some of the matches that they have had in that genre have been absolutely outstanding the you think back to the Kenny Omega John Moxley one um, you think back to the Britt Baker Thunder Rosa one um, from earlier in the year and you think back to um, the Proud and Powerful versus Best Friends street fight those are all pretty amazing matches so it's it's definitely something that can be done well in this case again it's it's the competitors are hamstrung by time considerations and trying to, I suppose, rush through spots. I didn't think it was a bad match. I actually thought it was a it was a pretty pretty good fight, um, and it gave a point of difference to to a lot of the women's matches. There aren't that many that are sort of this no holds barred, no DQ um, kind of slog fest involving weapons. So that was I, I appreciated that. I thought that was a cool way of doing things. Also, kind of um, took a bit of pressure off in terms of made made doing spots a little bit simpler. Um, my main gripe, I suppose, with it is that I, I see what they're doing with Jade Cargill, and I, I like Jade Cargill. I think she's got a huge, huge future. I mean, look at her; she's unbelievably um, gifted and athletic. But it's it's still hard to shake that, um, that sort of that uh, that that sort of idea that perhaps the push is a little bit unearned. Thunderosa has such love from the crowds. She's such an over competitor, and she's so outstanding. It's kind of a little bit frustrating as a fan to see her having to take the pin. Um, but nevertheless, you know, it's, there's one thing that I do love about AEW and that, you know, we've, we've had the chance to relearn as fans is that a loss isn't a burial. Like we know that Thunderosa isn't, that's not the end of her career just cause she had to take the pin in this one. Um, you know, the Fed kind of conditions viewers to think that a loss is a burial and it's amazing how effective that has been because it took me a while to undo that when I started watching AEW and um, instinctively I still kind of felt like that here but you know I know that's not going to be the case and I know that just to build up um, Jade they're not cutting the other two down I mean I haven't even talked about Nyla Rose being in the match for example Um, I think she was partially there just to help um, spread the load of the work because she's such a, a good hand um, and such an exciting presence in the ring. The chair shots from Jade at the end, whew, um, not good, frankly. 
uh, not good. They sort of reminded me of um, the the one from um, Survivor Series 1998, where Shane uh, misses. His spot is it Shane? No, sorry, um, not Shane misses his spot. Whoever it was, Big Boss Man misses his spot, and I think it's um, Briscoe has to give Stone Cold the most gentle chair shot in the history of the world. Kind of look like that, um, or well, I should have actually just gone straight to the Lance Storm analogy, shouldn't I? Because that's the funnier one. But um, what ifs? It, it it is what it is. I'd probably give this match a B, um, B B minus. It's it's hard to really get into the nitty gritty of it because it was such a quick thing um, ultimately. But really hoping to see more um, success for Thunder Rosa in the future, and I'm I'm confident that they're definitely going to give it to her. She's I mean she's just too over for them not to. And then of course we get to the main event: a hair versus hair match, which is always a stipulation that I find very underwhelming. Um, I said last week, I really hope Orange Cassidy wins this, in one way, because hopefully it leads further to the demise of HFO. But more importantly, I have never seen someone with long hair actually lose a hair versus hair match. So this was quite exciting for me. Again, we're hamstrung by time with this match. These two are really talented performers in completely different ways they can both work but I don't get the impression that they were really trying to put on a clinic here obviously um they were more about comedy spots and then you know Jack Evans obviously hitting some flips that kind of thing and then Schmolzer's so a bit of a mess but a structured mess all the same, you know, I don't think it was a mess because they didn't know what they were doing. I just don't think that they thought that they had to go particularly hard, and they didn't. Not every match has to be this um, technical masterpiece, particularly when you're dealing with Orange Cassidy and you're dealing with Jack Evans. Um, they're two completely different kind of attractions in two completely different ways, and I think it's important to with Orange Cassidy, keep him laissez-faire as kind of as much as you can so that when he does work, it, it really pops. And with Jack Evans, I mean, really, you just want to see him doing as many ridiculous flips as possible, don't you? So um, kind of cool that Evans lost and started getting his hair cut right there in the ring. Um, good sport. I imagine that must be incredibly frustrating to have because he's got wonderful hair doesn't he it was thick long hair um must be frustrating to get that cut off um but he'll probably feel a lot better about the price difference in shampoo and conditioner that he now has to go through um it's definitely going to be cheaper and probably a lot less brushing i mean such an ineffectual match really that that's the kind of stuff i'm now talking about um but an enjoyable way to end things put a bit of a smile on my face um i like again check it you know even though i don't like the hardy family office i still like matt hardy and i thought his um you know his he played a really good coward a really good you know chicken expletive deleted um coward in this case um leaving jack to be there completely on his own wonderful stuff in that regard so yeah i mean 
give this one a C plus maybe B minus does it really matter I don't think it really matters does it and that was Rampage for last week definitely not as um good as Dynamite obviously but sticking with that tradition of a really strong start um and a really good first match and you know if they if they keep doing that that's that's pretty cool I mean it is a three-match show and they're all going to be short matches so as long as we get one real cracker in there and we get some storyline advancement and we get a variety of stuff then that's pretty cool I've just listened back over that and honestly off the top of my head I can think of two hair versus hair matches where I've seen someone with long or longish hair lose. First was SummerSlam in 1998 where um, Jeff Jarrett lost a hair versus hair match. And the other one was um, Kevin Nash in the lead up to him filming The Punisher. He had a hair versus hair match on Raw. I can't remember who the hell it was with. I think it was probably Chris Jericho or something. Point was Kevin Nash and incredible long locks. He got them cut on Raw. So I don't know what the hell I'm on about. I also listened to that whole thing back and it sounded terrible. I'm really sorry. Um, as I say, it's it's pretty late here and I'm really just wanting to get this finished, um, you know, so that it's out before <laughs> the show start for this week. So if you'll forgive me, I promise that we'll definitely have a better Rampage segment next week. So what's coming up this week? Well, we've had a few things announced. Um, there's a Casino Battle Royale big speculation over who the joker is i have a couple of theories but i'm going to keep them to myself um because i think there's enough people speaking about that thing online also i can lie next week if i get it wrong anyway so that's cool um we of course have the first tnt title defenses we spoke about before between sammy guevara and uh bobby fish not the first title defense sammy's first title defense hopefully that'll be a cracking match but to be honest with you none of that matters to me the thing i'm most excited for is that we finally get to see hikaru shida back in action on tv i love hikaru shida she's my favorite she's my favorite woman's wrestler but she's also just one of my favorite wrestlers full stop and i think they've kind of done her dirty a little bit since she lost the title um she's on the road to 50 wins but we haven't seen her on tv getting any of those wins and serena deeb is an incredible wrestler so i think this could be a real uh match of the year contender um i'll see people say women's match of the year yeah okay um we could qualify like that and it will be hard to live up to what we saw last week between kenny and um brian but you know who cares the point is this is well deserved i hope it is the start of sheeta being back on tv more because she is such a talent and man, I've really missed her. She carried that division for so long with some outstanding matches. Um, yeah, I'm I'm hoping that's uh, a sign of better things to come. So I can't wait. Um, I know I've missed a couple of things, but you know, I've gone on long enough, I think, about some of my opinions tonight. So how about we call it a day here and I head off to bed rather than risk waking anyone up anymore sorry about the sound issues in the second part as i say next week i'll be more organized and we'll have a better show so good night and hi it are